We came here to be with those who struggle. We came here to listen to each other. We came here to learn from each other. We came here to be strengthened in resolve. We came here to raise our voices for justice. We came here to consecrate ourselves once more. And now we gather again in the mighty spirit of truth. We gather again in the shining spirit of hope. We gather again in the most powerful spirit of love. We gather again, we gather again.
Good morning, everyone. I'm Kristen Satterley, and I am so happy to welcome everyone to First Unitarian. If this is your first time here, or if you've been part of this congregation for years, whether you're in the physical or Zoom sanctuary or the family room or social hall, each one of you is an important part of our celebration today. In fact, take a moment to look around at this beautiful congregation. Notice the people near you or far away. Folks in the sanctuary, let's wave to the folks on Zoom or that camera right there, I think. It is good to be together. And to remember that every one of us, young and old, is a human being who gets tickles in our throat, whose devices make noise. Any of us might wiggle or tap our toes, giggle or sigh, or be moved to say, yeah. yeah. Right, exactly. <laughs> this may be a place of stillness, but while we are here together, it is never a place of total silence. And we wouldn't want it to be. We love all little sounds that remind us that this is a living, multi-generational congregation. And for those little ones who might need a little bit more stimulation, there's an activity table in the back and a family room across the way with toys and a live feed of the service. May the flame that is born from the fire of love glow in the soul. Let us worship together. want to take a minute to acknowledge something special, which is that we are now a few months into our teaching year with Kristen Famula. She arrived as our ministerial intern in August, and now she's gotten oriented. Right? You're all oriented already. Nothing's changed since you got here. <laughs> it's been really predictable. Right? <laughs> and she's started practicing her ministry as a student, and you, the congregation, have become her teaching congregation in these few months. We have formed an intern committee to guide her. I, as her supervising minister, have a special relationship with her. And these are all sacred relationships that are meant to nurture holy work. And we do it in this covenantal faith, which means our faith is based on our agreements about how we will journey together in the ways of love, to quote a congregational statement from the 1700s. We are based on covenants, not creeds. So I would like to take a moment to give words to our covenant with Kristen and make it official as we do. Kristen, will you come up here for a second? Let's have you come and stand over here. And we're gonna need that handheld mic next to Kristen Satterley. We've got so many Kristens. I'm <laughs> there we go. I see another Kristen out there right now. Here we go, Kristen F. All right. Kristen, as your mentor, one of the promises I make to you is that I will create a welcoming space for your questions, for your growth, and for your discernment. And as a ministry team, Bob and I have agreed that we'll offer you our own experiences of a life in ministry 
I mean the whole enchilada, <laughs> and will support you in your new personal and professional identity as a minister. And all three of us, you, me, and Bob, agree that we will honor the UU Minister Association's ethical code. That's right, and I am so very honored to serve and to learn with you and with Bob, and with it, all of you. Yeah. I see Anne Marsh down here. Anne, would you come on up to this side of the platform? You can just stand right down here. Anne is on the intern committee. She's a co-chair of it. And I wanted to invite her to say a word. Thank you. Kristen, on behalf of the intern committee, I offer you our promise to encourage and support you in discovering your strengths and your growing edges. We will offer a space for reflection and for contemplation and for connection. And we'll do an evaluation at the end <laughs> that will become part of your application for ministerial fellowship. We are so glad to be part of your journey. Thank you, Anne. And friends, as a teaching congregation, do you promise to support and encourage Kristen in her learning? If you do, please say or type in the chat box, we do. Great. As a minister in training, I promise to serve this congregation with all of my creativity and courage and compassion. May this be a year of learning and discovery for all of us. May it be so. Thank you. So much beauty happens when we gather together for holy work. Music washing over and through us, words of affirmation and mutual support, promises for the good work we do. I invite you to take a breath now and let's enter into a meditative time, just tuning into the present, tuning into all that has already been held in this space this morning, virtual and physical. Breathing, softening if you can, giving your weight over to that chair or whatever is holding you right now. And tuning into our senses. Noticing all of your senses and what they're perceiving right here in the present. We continue in silence. When you find your mind wandering, just gently bring it back.
Let's lift up some prayers in our community. From my pastoral care list, I want to especially lift up Martin Malecki, who died at home this week, surrounded by his loving family after a long illness. May his passing be in peace. We hold his wife, Connie, in our tender care as she goes through her grief and all of their family in our love. You bring names in your hearts, I know. I invite you to think of them now, the people and places that are in your prayers. And as the chime rings, I invite you to speak them aloud so that we can hold them with you. All these loved ones we lift up to the great powers of healing and renewal known by many names. I pray for our elected leaders, new and continuing. May they be safe. May they be guided by the highest values and grounded in wisdom. I pray for our congregation and for Kristen and her growing ministry. I give thanks for her and for all of you. We acknowledge that there remain many unnamed prayers among us and that sometimes we ourselves are the ones in need of prayer. May all who are struggling in any way receive what courage or peace they need. Spirit of life, source of love and compassion eternal, in the Hebrew scriptures, the prophet Elijah goes searching for you in the windstorm, in the fire, in the earthquake, and finds you at last in the stillness. May we, in the noise and the flow of all that is our lives, remember the center, the heart of it. May the deep peace and stillness quiet our troubled souls. Make space for healing and clarity, self-compassion and compassion toward others. And may we make our lives a blessing upon others through the unfolding of our lives, through our manner of living each day we are given.
Amen. And peace be with you. So, there was an election this week. <laughs> and when Reverend Bob was still feeling sick, he's better and testing negative now, yay. And we made a decision to have him stay home and get better rather than preaching today as was planned. I thought it would be a no-brainer to step in and talk about the election. I thought it would feel alive and important because it was fresh on everyone's minds. But every time I sat down to write this week, I felt meh, <laughs> M-E-H, meh. Nothing inspiring came to mind, nothing optimistic or encouraging. I think I had been assuming that if things all went in a direction that felt hopeful, that I would give a big, inspiring sermon. And if they didn't, I would pump us up for the work, work for justice. But instead, I just felt, I guess, disgust. Is anyone else feeling this way? A CNN exit poll on Tuesday showed that of those voting, 
about seven in 10 said that they were dissatisfied or angry about the way things are going in this country. 70%. That's not just Republicans or Democrats, that's a majority of voting voters in general. And as I reflected on the election, I realized I was feeling some anger about the whole thing. I couldn't even figure out what it would have felt like to win. What does winning look like in a system that feels biased and performative and gerrymandered and divisive? I'm a big believer in elections and in voting. As imperfect a system as it is, I still relish the opportunity to have our voices heard in this way. 18 years ago, fresh out of college, I moved across the country to Reno, Nevada for a one-year gig leading up to that election. For one year, I was paid to engage young people in voting. I registered thousands of people in this swing state. I got them excited about having their voices heard, and then I got them to the polls. We organized and educated, and my sole mantra during that time was to ensure that young people's voices were being heard. I didn't care who they were voting for. We were a nonpartisan campaign, and I believed in the work wholeheartedly. I loved this work with my whole heart. It was important to get young people voting no matter who they were voting for. I remember running a mock election on one of the college campuses where I was organizing and realizing at the end of the day that I was very likely swinging the vote to the other side in this decidedly purple state. And I felt genuinely okay about it. Democracy was so important. And so as the election results poured in this week, and I felt increasingly apathetic about it, I began to be concerned about what that was about. I felt mad about the false binaries, frustrated that we're all supposed to buy into the talking points, that we spend so much money, and it feels so gross and hateful, and I felt really cynical. And even when some of the votes went the way I wanted them to go, I still felt disdain for the system and just disheartened. I remember as political rhetoric ramped up in recent years and folks were dismayed at the bullying and the name calling and the toxic polarization, there were some memes that were shared that said, this is not normal. It's a slippery slope though. And somehow it seems like it did actually become a little bit normalized. It snuck in little by little until here I am this week feeling numb and desensitized. After the election this week, a family member for whom I share seemingly opposite, and I mean completely opposite viewpoints, wrote an article about her fear and sadness in the results of the election and what her state had become. And I found myself reading the article and scoffing and rolling my eyes at her sadness. 
It probably won't come as a surprise that a recent Pew Research poll showed that people in the U.S. increasingly feel more animosity towards one another. We don't just disagree with each other's politics. Now we genuinely don't like people with other opinions. The study reported that we view those people as close-minded and dishonest and an un unintelligent and immoral. And I feel some of that in me. I wholeheartedly believe that the direction of this country should go in a particular way. And I watch the repercussions of legislation that harms my loved ones. There is so much at stake. And I feel disdain for the folks that don't see that. A few years ago, activist and poet Yosimar Reyes offered something resembling a prayer for people in this country. The title says it all. A poem so that the weight of this country does not crush you. I worry that in the constant concern for the world and the normalizing of disdain for people who view the world through a different lens, that my, that our motivations might have slipped. I've forgotten that this is about love. How many of you have been to a concert before? How about a concert where there is a mosh pit? If you're not sure what that is, picture this with me. You're listening to a concert, probably a punk or rock or other high energy concert where much of the audience is standing. And in front of the band, there's often a part of the crowd that opens up a bit. And as people are dancing and bumping into one another, what's sometimes called a mosh pit forms. Something you might not yet know about me is that I love mosh pits. <laughs> if you're looking in from the outside or looking down from a seat above, a mosh pit can look just like a lot of pushing and aggression and even violence. What I see from the inside of the pit is so different. It's about bonding in joy and caring for one another and picking each other up. I used to think that in order to be in the middle of a mosh pit, you needed brute strength and maybe even some aggression. What I've learned, though, is that inside the pit, I can direct traffic. I can simply help guide. 
I don't have to hit or use elbows or anything like that. I hold my hands out and help turn the movement of the people in the pit. It's powerful. And it's not about violence. I share this because you wouldn't necessarily know this unless you came closer. Maybe not into the mosh pit, but at least closer. Or talked to someone who had been closer and heard about the experience from their vantage point. Sometimes it takes getting closer to a situation to see the reality more clearly. This week, I've been thinking about this lens as I consider how the world is perceived by those who think differently from me and how I, in turn, view them. I think about my family member's article lamenting the loss of values that she thought her state stood for and her true fear and sadness. And when I got closer and reread her article and wondered a bit, I knew her sadness was born of love and care. Activist and author Valerie Kaur reminds us that getting closer, allowing ourselves to wonder about the things that we have assumptions about is where love begins. And that once people stop wondering about others, once they no longer see others as part of them, they disable their instinct for empathy. And once they lose empathy, they can do anything to them. This week, I'm trying to lean in to get closer and to allow myself to wonder and listen for a more honest perspective. Sometimes I'm not physically getting closer, but just reminding myself that everything is more nuanced than it appears. A few weeks ago, I stepped onto the walkway outside of our home with our two-year-old and I nearly stepped on a huge, bright green grasshopper. My daughter and I crouched down so that we could look at it more closely and noticed that it was doing something peculiar. As we sat there watching, it became clear that the grasshopper was likely attempting to lay eggs. And it dawned on me that I really didn't have any idea if that was something a grasshopper does. And since my kiddo is at the age where she asks great questions and I wanted to give her truthful answers and I was genuinely curious myself, I decided to do a Google search. So here's what I found. Grasshoppers do lay eggs. Maybe you knew that already. Google also told me that the total lifespan of a grasshopper lasts for around 12 months. 11 of which are spent in the egg and nymphal stages of their life cycle. During their 30 days of adulthood, grasshoppers will seek out a suitable mate and reproduce. 30 days of adulthood. I know that insects have comparably short lives, but for some reason, knowing that this grasshopper had 30 days of adulthood to accomplish this one task of laying these eggs and that they were now sitting in a pile of leaves right outside of my door where my exuberant bouncy kiddo or her tired distracted parents might step on them at any point 
made me extremely anxious. For a couple days, I felt strangely invested in the progeny of this grasshopper, in figuring out a safe place to move the eggs and the grasshopper who was seemingly standing guard. It seems both so silly and so important at the same time. I kept thinking about the Mary Oliver poem, The Summer Day, which incidentally also involves a grasshopper. And her question in that poem, what is it you plan to do with your one wild, precious life? And I just couldn't let this grasshopper's 30 days of adulthood get smushed so easily now that I knew. And it wasn't just about the grasshopper, it became about me and how short and small our lives are and how complicated and precious it all is and how there just really isn't time to do anything that isn't out of love. I relish those moments when somehow you hold both the very small and simple and the big picture view all at once. Astronauts who return from space have explained an overview effect that occurs. When they're looking down at our planet from a far distant place, most space travelers have described a change in consciousness as if their whole view of reality shifts and suddenly life feels precious and important and small. You don't have to go to space for this kind of perspective. It can happen in a shared sunset or in caring for a loved one or in an intimate moment with a grasshopper. This week, I have been intentional about remembering these perspectives. The big picture perspective of the preciousness of life that can be gained from a grasshopper or a view from space. And the perspective of getting closer, like to a mosh pit, making space for wondering and allowing for nuance. I've been holding these perspectives as a spiritual practice so that I don't forget that when it comes right down to it, this is about love. So that disdain and hatred can't get normalized as the center of our desire for change. The core is love. The center of the letter writing and the marching and the protesting and the voting and everything else we do to ensure the rights of those we care about is in love. None of this is new. The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. offered in a speech in 1967, I say to myself that hate is too great a burden to bear. I have decided to love. This life thing is serious and important and worth working for. And most of us got into the struggle for justice and for democracy because of love, because we care deeply. I'm inviting us to spend time leaning into these different perspectives, not with the goal of expending painful, harmful energy on folks that we disagree with, not so that we can spend time convincing those folks who see the world in opposite ways. I'm asking for all of this perspective taking so that we don't change our center, so that we carry the weight of it all from a place of love, so it doesn't change us, 
and normalize hatred. If you have enough energy to muster, to keep on loving, do it. That's what we come here for, to practice loving, to remind ourselves over and over again that we are here to love. I don't want to forget about my love for humanity and my love for the earth because the weight of the world will try to crush you. And because life is small and wild and precious and because hate is too great a burden to bear. And so here we are. Let us center love.
When I'm serving the church, I become the person I want to be. Whether it's up here as a lay leader or as a lay leader at Vespers, welcoming my beloved congregation into this place where we worship together or behind the scenes on the care team. And all around me, I see others becoming their best selves, practicing love in service to the church. Ushers helping people find their seats, my care team friends walking with others through hard times, religious education teachers helping to parent one another's children, congregants of all kinds greeting each other in coffee hour and helping new folks find a warm home here. Through our generosity, both in money and through our simple presence in community, we make this church what we want it to be. And in turn, it helps us become who we want to be. In November, your pocket change or any seat back envelope marked change for the future will help our partner Art Street to create a different kind of place where people are helped to become who they want to be through art programs mostly targeted through to the inadequately housed. Is the person you want to be a generous person? Now's your chance. We will now gratefully accept the offering.
comfort me comfort me comfort me oh my Sing with me, sing with me, sing with me, oh my soul. Sing with me, sing with me, sing with me, oh my soul. Speak for me, speak for me, speak for me, oh my soul, speak for me, speak for me, speak for me, oh my soul. Dance with me, dance with me, dance with me, oh my soul. Dance with me, dance with me, dance with me, oh my soul. Comfort me, comfort me, comfort me, oh my soul. Comfort me, comfort me, comfort me, oh my soul. everybody. <laughs> Thank you so much for your generosity, financial, time, care, all of it on behalf of this congregation and on behalf of Art Street. I want to take a moment to give you a little update about our operating campaign, which you know has been going on for several weeks now. As of this week, we were to about 64% of our goal. So we're getting there, but we really need to hear from folks who haven't made a pledge yet. If you don't know, a pledge is a promise about what you think you'll give the church financially in the coming year. So you can make it online. You don't have to turn any money in at the time. It all has to do with the year 2023, and we count on it to make plans for the year. We really can't plan for staffing and other operations without it. So thank you so much to everybody who already did pledge, and I hope that we'll hear from some more of you soon. We also have a couple of invitations to share. 
many folks in the congregation, that means many of you are artists, and we hope you'll come celebrate that with us today at the All-Member Art Show in the Social Hall. There will be artists there whose work is being displayed now that you can chat with and some smaller items available for purchase. We hope to see you there. Also, uh, next weekend is the weekend before Thanksgiving, which means it's time for the annual Interfaith Thanksgiving service. And Kristen, do you know offhand what time that's happening? At 3 p.m. on Sunday? On Sunday at? Congregation Albert. 3 p.m. Sunday, Congregation Albert, our annual Interfaith Thanksgiving service. Many of our choir members will be there. Nope, Susan is shaking her head. <laughs> Some Unitarians will be there. That's what I know, including Kristen. <laughs> I know many of you look forward to that service. We forgot to put it into the uh, newsletter this month, and so thank you to the person that raised that to my attention. Let's see. What else do we have here? Well, I want to make sure that you know you are invited to stay for coffee hour, uh, whether you're attending virtually or here in the sanctuary. We'll hope you'll mingle and get to know each other a little bit especially if you're a newcomer. Do we have any newcomers who feel comfortable raising their hands? It's okay if you're not. Hello, there we go, welcome. Glad you've joined us. If you're on Zoom, you can put your name and location in the chat if you haven't already so we can greet you personally. Who in here will personally commit to greeting our newcomers in coffee hour? You are on the spot. <laughs> Come on, Unitarians. I see somebody, thank you, Liz. I know more of you will, yes? Yes, okay, there we go. Thank you, that's how we make a warm community. Um, and finally, I invite you, if you're on Zoom, to move into gallery view, if you're here in the sanctuary, to rise and body your spirit. And let's just greet each other with a gesture of peace. One hand on our hearts. Peace.
May everything we do be in love. We carry the flame of peace and love, and we will see each other again. Yeah, I would say that the answer is yeah. 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 